welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. My guest for episode 42 is Stephanie Carls. Named a Twitter powerhouse by the Huffington Post, Stephanie shares her passion for social media and technology online and focuses on the ways both are changing the way we live and share information. Through engaging video content, she enjoys showing how to make sense of technology so you can tap and swipe your way to a simpler and more savvy life. As a digital lifestyle enthusiast, Stephanie shares her favorite products, helps navigate new apps, and offers tech tips. With her creativity in her videos, she has even landed features in the New York Times and NBC News. Frequently asked to participate as a spokesperson or digital correspondent, Stephanie has enjoyed working with Cottonelle, Chevrolet, as video host for 2012 South by Southwest Interactive Festival, Market Wired, Nike Women, Hallmark, GoPro, Nexorisis, appearing on CBS, The Doctors, and more. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so everyone who listens to the podcast knows that we love origin stories and how we get started on this crazy wild road of entrepreneurship and creativity and just change making. So how'd you get your start? You know, I think it came from um, really seeing some of the pieces that were missing. And so when social media really started to, um, I think people started to notice that it was making a difference within uh, their personal brands, which I think back in, you know, that would have been 2008, 2009, um, that really wasn't something that a lot of people were thinking about, but yet the power uh, of the personal brand had started. And I think that I was realizing that um, the people that were well-known within social media and talking about that and um, really talking about the power that it has for businesses, there were not a lot of women doing that. And so I was instantly inspired by uh, a lot of the the. I think the the powerhouse women that I would say would be like Anne Hanley, um, Amber Nasland, um, even of course Carla Brinberg. She um, they were they were all out there and they were all making a name for themselves. But most importantly, not only were they making a name for themselves, they were doing that with the knowledge and the education that they had, and they were just doing powerful things. And that's what they were doing to, of course, make the name for themselves. So. The other thing that I noticed is video mm-hmm. and the power of video. And so kind of combining all of these things into one piece, I thought, okay, let's talk about um, you know my background with understanding communication, um, advertising, marketing, PR, and then mold that into what's happening with social. So what are people trying to do and how can I help them understand exactly how social media is kind of working? So again, this is way back. 2008, 2009. And so I think that was my, my big opportunity is I want to be a voice out there that, um, again, a female voice, and then also bringing that into being in front of the camera. That was one thing that um, it was way back in uh, probably the end of high school and then going into college. I, I still had this little piece in my mind that said, um, it would be fun to be on camera. And so my dream was to be a sideline sports reporter. And I took some media classes. I really enjoyed it. But I think um, 
another part of me still loved the business world and getting into marketing, PR, communication in general. And so I took those classes and then started to figure out that I think I'm going to take a different path and just kind of stayed on the path for business and marketing. And now it's just really funny because, of course, um, you know, I, I graduated with corporate communication um, as my major. And so, of course, have continued to do that, but then now have added that video part back in. And so it's that that passion that I think I, I kind of let down for a little while. And then it, it had the opportunity to come back up and I didn't have to go through um, a television show or anything like that or a studio to, in order to get that type of, uh, of, of a position uh, position online. Mm-hmm. And so now that opportunity is here. It's been a lot of fun. And I think there's been a lot of professional growth. There's been a lot of personal growth and that can only come from practice. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, as far as the timestamp goes, 2008, and you're right, there were a lot of what I would say like pre-craft female powerhouses at the time. Pre-craft meaning we didn't know a lot about social media then. Like we were still sort of figuring out that was roughly a year or so after Twitter had started. So we're talking Liz Strauss and Kathy Sierra. Absolutely. Um, you know, Carla Bernberg. We can we can go through a lot of names like that that were just like, I don't know what this is doing. They're jumping into it. And it's, that's, you know, kind of Chris Brogan was in that camp too. Chris Brogan we talked Absolutely. to. And so there's definitely that pre-craft thing going on then. I'm curious because, you know, I was talking to to someone earlier about this did maybe yesterday <laughs> about social media and saturation and everyone's doing it. When you got started 2008, everybody wasn't doing it um, Correct. at the time. So at that time, like you, you said that there was a missing gap. What was that missing gap that, that you really saw? I'm like, Hmm, I, I need to, or I want to jump into that gap. Um, you know, it was really video and that's where, uh, again, I had that passion and I thought, well, what a better area, um, to start in to then to talk about social media and really, you know, I started kind of with the, the tips and tricks. Um, and it was more going based upon what I was learning and being that voice out there for people to learn from. And what was great is I still got the attention of, you know, some of those powerhouse players as, you know, I, I, still have them up on a, on a pedestal for sure. Um, and that's what was really interesting is because I think that people really weren't doing that at the time. And I think that's what really started to get me noticed. Um, not only doing video and keeping that out. So at least, you know, maybe once a week, once a week, or maybe even twice monthly, there would be a video that would come out. And then it started just to, you know, say, okay, we're doing video, we're, we're gaining some traction here. Um, it, you know, definitely got me noticed for my first um, job, um, really just doing a, a ton of um, social strategy. And so that's when I moved to Austin, Texas from Illinois. And that was a fantastic opportunity because again, I only did, I only had that job because I kept pushing myself to be out there. And I kept showing the knowledge that I had and showing that, hey, this is how I'm doing it. This is what businesses should do. This is how you would make a strategy alongside that. And again, social strategy in 2009 is still like, wait, what is a social strategy and who needs it? And so now that is you know common, common knowledge now. And I think what it was is 
paying attention to then how things change. And that's another area where I think that it's kept bolstering me up even more to start to talk and network with other people is because I kept noticing how social was changing. I noticed how video was changing. And I even put myself in a position where I was almost too ahead of the curve. In fact, um, I, I kind of stopped doing video for a little while. And this is, you know, right when that was starting, but I was using YouTube annotations. And so I was giving the viewer one of those kind of choose your own adventure. And I was saying, okay, these are the five things we're going to talk about today. You can choose this, this, or this. And then people would be able to choose which video they wanted to watch. Well, the biggest problem is annotations weren't available on mobile devices. And so if you were watching on your desktop, that's great. You could go through, you could, you could look at them. Um, I was getting a lot of attention because of the forward thinking in video, but yet you start to look at your analytics. And of course, that's the power of mobile devices that over 50%, even in, you know, 2011, um, 50% of people, even at that time, are watching videos on mobile devices because you're out and you're about, you're looking at on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. However, you're, you're presenting it, it's still going to be on a mobile device. And so now, um, YouTube still is not there today in 2015. And so they have come up with some other little, um, you know, the new YouTube cards that are available on mobile that you can actually choose and, and click. Um, but yet annotations, as they were originally presented, are still not available on mobile. So that might be something that I could enter into doing again. But that was probably, you know, 2009 through 2011 that I was starting to do a lot of that. And when you're ahead of the curve on a lot of those things, um, it, you get you got noticed, but yet you really weren't able to to build that up further. So kind of held you back in one way. Yeah, I think especially when your body of work or your thought leadership is really depending upon a technical change mm -hmm. um, or you know some type of change like that, it's really easy for your brand and for people to know about you before you're actually able to capitalize on that as the person in that position. And that could be really challenging, right? It can be. And I, I think, um, you know, we, you mentioned Chris Brogan earlier uh, with the whole book of trust agents. And I think that was, that was a book that of course is, it came out. That was one book that I grabbed, I read. And that's where, um, you know, I think I really tried to, uh, work on my personal brand. And that was to develop that trust relationship with me in terms of, all right, um, if you're talking about it, then you must need to know what you're talking about. And you can talk about your experiences and you become that trust agent for people. And so that's really where, um, you know, my personal brand was then developed around that is because I wanted to be that trustworthy person within the industry that um, I'm practicing what I preach. I you know, talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges or lessons learned from your first two years of giving it a go? You know, I would have to say that um, it's okay to do things on your time and it's okay to say no to opportunities that might not be matching with either where you want to go or the people that you're wanting to associate yourself with. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean they were bad people, but yet, if their brand doesn't match with what you're wanting to, um, you know, to incorporate yourself with, then that's when you really need to take the step back 
it's okay to say no. And you can be honest with that, that person or the brand, the agency, and just say, you know, either not at this time, it's not going to be a good fit for me, or, you know, it's just not really the direction that I'm wanting to go. Um, however, maybe a little bit later down the road, we can have this conversation or I might not be the person to chat with, but yet I know somebody else that could be. And yeah. going back to that, that first lesson is, um, you know, understanding that yes, social is a 24 seven, uh, job. And of course, with me being, um, definitely hands-on with that, with, um, managing clients with an agency, uh, of my own. And then of course, managing that personal brand, you have that struggle of, I always have to be on whether it's for the client or whether it's for yourself. And so I think I went through a point where I was always on constantly, you know, whether it's for the client, whether it's for myself, I was always posting something, um, always trying to be involved because of course, um, social doesn't sleep and I just, I have to be there at all times. And I think that took a toll on me. And so I think that's why I took a step back from video for a little while. I was still on social, still doing things, but yet I needed to kind of set myself straight of exactly what type of time commitment I wanted to put back into it. Tell us a little bit about the toll though, because I mean, I think we all sort of go through periods. I don't want to say burnout, but you know, how did that toll show up for you? You know, I think it was showing up through, um, at the time that I was doing those videos, I was shooting five videos in one night to get that, um, all ready to go. I did have somebody else that was editing those for me. Um, but yet it was, they would edit. And then of course it was up to me to then place it on the channel, to promote it, to get it all out there. And of course, as we know from all of the social channels, if you're not present on that network, it's going to be really difficult for you to start to gain some of that traction. And so I think it was, um, you know, then being there for the clients and also being, um, I had some other um, individuals that were working on my team at the time. So it didn't always have to be me, but of course it's that I want everything to be great for this client. I want them always to be pleased. And so somebody would reach out on Twitter, uh, with a question or a comment, whatever the case may be, uh, I wanted to be right there and I wanted to take care of that for them. Um, and so I think just going back to what the toll, you know, what that was like, um, it was just taking a toll on my sleep. It was taking a toll on the time that I was wanting to spend with my family. And even though I was there with my family, it's just one of those times where you realize that you might be present, but you're really not present. And you can still have those conversations, but yet it's the, I really need to be present for my family. And then I also need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. What was sort of the catalytic moment that let you know that like, okay, like I... I got to do something different. I mean, and the reason I ask that is because a lot of times there's that moment, you know, you're sitting at a coffee shop or you get the email or your kid does X, right? Um, was there one of those moments for you where you're just like, okay, that's it. That it, it, I, We got to do something different now. Yeah. You know, I had, um, I had a job opportunity that was presented to me that would not necessarily take me out of social, but then use my knowledge that I had gained through being a director of social media to come in and really develop a, um, a position around social and mobile and client success. And so that was really, um, the idea was presented. And at, at the time I was like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if this is really going to be the move for me. But then that's when I thought, you know, I'm really noticing a lot of these changes taking place. I'm tired. I'm doing all of this. I have a great team, but yet it's that 
um, the perfectionist in me, and I'm definitely uh, a recovering uh, perfectionist that we're trying to uh, to deal with. But it was just that that realization that you know what, there's more things out there, and I can then take this knowledge and this um, experience that I've gained through this position, and then take it into something else to then continue to then bolster that career as as well as your network. Okay. And you had really young ones at the time, correct? Yeah, I did. So um, I my firstborn uh, was born in, uh, in 2009. And then um, I have a one year old now. So just born in 2014. Um, and so you were, you know, tell us how because this is a challenge for a lot of women, actually. How did you manage the 24 seven social media, you know, being all there at the same time that you've got a toddler, you know, or you've got a, a really, you know, a young one that needs your attention. How did that work out for you? You know, I think it can be, it can be difficult at times, but, um, you know, at that time, and this was, you know, I'm kind of going back. What was really interesting about that is that in 2010, for example, Twitter did not have the notifications or Facebook that it has today where it would just pop up on your device. And so there were things like, Gosh, I remember um, Boxcar. Um, there was something with Facebook, um, ugh, an app that you could use that would then notify you if anybody had commented, especially on your pages, because it was like Facebook was doing everything for the um, the personal profiles, but yet the pages you weren't getting those notifications, so you'd always have to check. So I just think that I would let my team know when I needed to be off, and so typically that was around the time that uh, I would pick my son up, there would be dinner, bath, and getting ready for bed, and then I would pick it back up, you know, probably around that 7.30, 8 o'clock time period. And so now, then, you know, moving forward to um, the present, I think that having the notifications on our devices are excellent, but yet not good. And then, of course, um, getting into wearables. Uh, I do have, you know, a wearable. I wear a Moto um, 360 watch, and so... To me, as sometimes annoying as it can be, it's been also very helpful because then I know when those notifications are coming through. Thankfully, I'm not managing anyone else's social accounts besides my own, but I just think that it's it's setting that goal for yourself of, unless it's an absolute emergency and um, I don't see my brand, my personal brand, having any emergencies happening. And so that's when I can just say, I want to be off uh, on, on these certain times. And so that's when I can just set my phone to silent or um there's a couple different apps out there that you can use that would then um you know kind of silence your phone even more so you don't even see the notifications and that's just where you have to set yourself up for that understanding and you have to hold yourself to those times because there are moments that are happening um daily with your children and those are the times you definitely do not want to miss them so i've read some newer studies about social media and especially around the, the constant sort of dopamine drips that we get from like, that's a like, that's a retweet, that's a whatever that is. Um, and some of the more recent survey or studies have shown that it's actually affecting our thought processes and how we understand time and things like that. It's actually, you know, neither, I won't get deep into that, but yeah. it's a thing, right? Absolutely. Um, and so I'm wondering, um, how have you noticed any change in yourself from when you started really social media and how you were in the world then to how you are now? Not not on like the 
social and community good feelings, but just like, wow, I can't concentrate or anything like that. I'm just curious about that. Yeah. You know, um, that has been a popular conversation, um, with, it was, we were, we were taking a trip and that was with one of my, um, my parents' friends and, and she had been reading a lot of those articles and had said, all right, same type of question. What do you, what do you feel about that? And I just, you know, my response to her is that I think that people probably have to go through, um, probably have to go through a particular stage in order to either, um, not feel that way, get over it, um, et cetera. But, you know, I look at the, the teenagers that have grown up, uh, with social, they've grown up with Facebook and Facebook to me, you know, came out in college. And so, I think that you originally kind of start out like that, like, oh my gosh, look, all these people are either liking, and then even now with with Twitter, they're either favoriting, retweeting, responding to me, whatever. But I think that you really do have to have that, um, almost that conversation with yourself to say, does this really matter? And it doesn't. And some of the time people don't get that, but yet for me, I just had to realize that that doesn't matter. Um, I almost hate when people say, oh, well, how many followers do you have on Twitter or, you know, how many, you know, views do you have, whatever. And to me, the, the, the thing that really should be measured is how can I get people to react to what I'm saying? And when I mean react, um, it means to, if I've asked them to, um, you know, maybe stand with me for a special, um, you know, a special event or a special cause or something or, um, you know, talk about a certain product, whatever the case may be, what can I do to get them to move? And if not, if I'm not able to get them to move, then that's more of an issue. You can have, you know, 200,000 Twitter followers, but if nobody is reacting to what you're doing, then you're obviously not doing a very good job with your social media. And so I think just kind of wrapping, you know, around that, that question is, I think that people do get really caught up in that. But they also have to realize that, um, you know, everything you share is not always something that somebody else wants to see. And that's okay. That's just like if you were to text somebody some random thing that you, you know, you thought about today or whatever the case may be, it's okay. And I think that's um, a lot of people need to realize that. But again, they have to kind of go through that, that experience of, okay, well, nobody responded to me. And that's okay. So there's, there's some, I have to think about, I think it's almost called, I think it's called the circle, but it's a book that a friend was telling me about. And it's really all around that whole question of, you know, how is this affecting people? And it is really talking about the whole, you know, whole thing of nobody really cares, but yet we still do it. It's still a lot of fun. It's been a great way to connect with a lot of people, but people just can't take um, social interaction so personal, personally. Yeah, there's a book. It's either Together, Alone, or Alone Together. Um, and I was reading it, this is maybe last year, and her point was technology has enabled us more ways to connect with each other. Right. Yet we become even more isolated <laughs> because of the technology. Like we're, we're, you know, there's all this um, and I sound like an old guy. I'm not old. I don't <laughs> think. Um, but, you know, there's all the tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming and, and Pinteresting and all that stuff going on. Right. Right. And it's on some ways, it's like meta noise at this point. It, it's like being in New York City, having the background noise going on. None of it actually means anything at the same time, especially from a business or from a creative perspective. Like we crave the noise. It's this weird thing. Right. 
Right. Um, and so I don't know where I was going with that, but it's a great book, actually. You might want to check it out if you haven't read it. Yeah, no, I definitely will. And, and I think that, um, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to send it to you is, is the other book that um, a friend had told me about. And, you know, it is just one of those pieces where uh, you mentioned it yourself is that, um, you know, it's kind of making you feel um, you're, you're connected, but yet you're really not connected. And so that's where um, the online social world is absolutely fantastic. But I still don't think that I would have continued to have the network that I have if I had not gotten out and actually saw these people. And so they're not going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I know Stephanie Carls. She, you know, she does this. But if you ask the majority of those people, they have seen me, quote, IRL in real life, and they know exactly how my personality is. They have, you know, they've been able to throw their arms around me, give me a a hug. And then you do feel a lot more connected with them when you're able to sit down face to face and talk with them. And that's also going to be the opportunity that people are going to say, yes, I would recommend her for such and such. Let's talk about your personal brand real quick. Sure. Um, What's the part? Well, here's a statement. You might not agree with it. Um, (laughs) The thing about a brand is that you don't get to own all of it. You get to, it's co-created with people that experience that brand. Right. And unfortunately, that means that sometimes there are parts of the brand that you wish weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways that people understand you, so on and so forth. So let's start from that. Like, which part about your personal brand do you wish like, ooh, that's something that's either a hurdle or that you're always, you find yourself re-educating people about or changing the conversation? Do you have any of those points? You know, I do. And I think that it is, um, you know, it's something that people really have to, um, to watch out for because everything that they place online and everybody that they connect to is, um, you know, is something that is going to be the, um, the focal point of what, um, what people are going to associate themselves, um, with. And so I think that, um, you know, as you're taking a look at, um, you know, some of the ways that people share information online or the people that they connect with online, um, you know, I, I almost like go back to a conversation that I had with a coworker about um, even the people that you connect with on LinkedIn. As people look at who you are connected with, that's then going to make an impression, um, you know, about who you're, you know, who you are, who you hang out with. Um, And so it just even goes back to uh, you're most like the five people that you hang around. And that's going to then go into your social profiles as well. And so it's what you talk about. It's who you talk about. It's who you talk to. And, um, you know, really that's going to start to mold that personality online. And that's why, you know, I go back to it's who you talk about and, you know, with whom you do, uh, you do those, you have those conversations with, because just as, as you said, your, um, personal brand is not only created by you, it's created with what other things that, you know, what other people will say about you. So which parts of those are out there that you, that are troubling for you as far as your personal brand goes? Uh, troubling and, and, you know, maybe what some people would say. Yeah. I mean, so here's what I'm getting at. Like, mm-hmm. um, Depending upon the medium that you choose, depending upon how that gets perceived, I, I think sometimes it's just possible for your your total brand to be different from who you are in a certain way. And sometimes that's a pain in the butt, <laughs> right? Um, do you have any of those particular points for yourself that you're like, ah, that's not what, that's not who I am or that's not how I want to be perceived or so on? You know, I, 
I would say, thankfully, I don't have any of that out there. Um, and it's mostly because I've worked so hard on making sure that, um, you know, I almost at this point, just being out in that social world and everything, I almost, um, I hate the word, you know, to be authentic. You have to show authenticity. Um, because I know a lot of people kind of say, oh, you know, if you are preaching it, you're probably not doing it. But yet, um, it is really true. And you have to make sure that, um, what you are talking about and what you are are putting out there online is absolutely true about yourself. And I have a personal story about that. It's because I, I had a connection uh, online, and she was fantastic. She was always on the on top of it. She I was in Twitter chats with her. Just brilliant, smart, um, very. You know, she would just communicate so well. And anyway, but then whenever you got to see her in person. And this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure she probably couldn't help is she was really um, an, an introvert. And so it was really different because you could have these amazing conversations online. But yet once you saw her in person, it was almost like this wall was in front of you and you couldn't really have a conversation. And so I think that that's something that a lot of people have to go through because I think the the power of the keyboard, meaning um you know, but a lot of people feel that whatever they write online, it doesn't matter. And, you know, it, it does matter. And, and in, in a good way for this, this contact, it gave her a lot of power, um, you know, behind the keyboard, which was great for her. And I think that, um, you know, as she continued on, she does a lot of community management. Um, she does a fantastic job. And so there's really no complaints, but it's also making sure that what you're saying about yourself can then be represented if you are then in person. So if you say that you do certain things for, uh, for companies or you provide certain services, if you say that you do that and you don't have any examples, it makes it pretty difficult for people to then say, oh, well, I saw that you do this and they have no examples of doing that. That really puts you out there as somebody who's you know, not, not being authentic. Yeah, I've actually seen it the other way around where, well, maybe it's the same thing where... Um they had that really sort of bold, you know, not off the wall, but that really bold extroverted brand. Um, and then you meet them and it, they're really quiet and soft-spoken. It's not that they're introverted. They're just not who they are. And so, the, I mean, I think the chief difference is, is some people get to a point where they recognize that they're, that they're an entertainer more than they are <laughs> anything else. And not that that's not a critique. It's just one of those things they figured out that, wait a second, I'm an entertainer right. um, who also happens to be, say, a thought leader. And right. then when you meet them, it's like clearly they're a thought leader, but they're not nearly as entertaining, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's that it's the power that the keyboard gives you and it can give you powers that um, can be used for, you know, for good. So it's like, hey, I can I can entertain people and I can have a lot of fun. But then there's also, you know, kind of that dark side of social media that you can sit behind a, a computer screen and fingers on the keyboard and say whatever you want. But then. Um, a lot of people are learning that that comes back and can haunt you. Um, you know, people are, it's, it's a really interesting world. And that's where, you know, kind of that conversation about the different generations where you have kind of the boomers that are trying to make those personal brands online. And then you have, you know, I, I still fit in the, the millennial um, group, even though I'm still on the, the older part of that, <laughs> but still I can consider myself a millennial. I can definitely... Um, can say that, but yet it's, you know, we're still figuring a lot of that out. And then I think the younger millennials are then also figuring out what not to do because then as they start to look for jobs and as they start to, um, 
you know, kind of make that personal brand, they realize that the digital footprint that they had uh, maybe two or three years ago is something that now they're regretting. Yeah. It, it reminded me, I saw something, I don't know where I saw it, but it was like all of the dumb things people put on their face on their public Facebook profile. And then when they went to a job, like the people interviewing them were like, was this you at this party? And they're like, <laughs> Oh snap. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's just, you know, it's, it's been, um, I've done a lot of, of, of talks with college students. And one thing that I found um, very interesting is a lot of them have actually gotten off of Facebook and they've said that that's either a, they are just really tired of the drama B they uh, just don't really want there to be anything out there. If anybody tried to tag them, you know, so managing that, that profile is just too much for them. Or, um, you know, I just think that it was a lot of it was more of the distraction, but yet these were also people that were saying, Oh, I want a job working in digital marketing and social. And I was just saying, I get your points of why you got off of it. But yet, if you cannot be found online, that makes it, I, I worry about you even more if I can't find you. So that's why I just said it's put some things up there and then just make sure that you have all of your privacy settings done. Make sure to clean it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, we live in a, um, the funny thing about it is we can look at it this way. Like social media is out there, out there in a way. At the same time, we live a 100% sort of public life now, right? And you're walking down the street, somebody can videotape you and put it online, right? Nothing you can do about it, right? Um, mm -hmm. With some of the new stuff coming out with drones that people can fly around in your backyard and look in your window, there's no, there's nothing really you can do about that, right? Right. And, and right. so I, I think that's part of that counter reaction that we're seeing from the younger part of the generation is like, I want out of this. Mm -hmm. But it, it's kind of one of those, like, there's not really a way out at this point. Exactly. And, and that's the other thing that, that you, you hit it exactly as it should be said, is that you do have a, a public, you know, profile now, and there's really nothing that you can do about it. Um, but yet, that's the other thing is, is the question of, well, can I separate the two? Can I have a, you know, my after five, my personal profile and then can I have my business profile and that is you know the other thing that you know I, I see you shaking your head and I completely there's no way you can't do that I there, there's you just can't manage it and you know what no matter how hard you try people are going to find it <laughs> it reminds me of um there's sort of a, an ethical principle that we get from Kant and it's like make decisions as if everyone were watching you right yeah. Would you make that same decision if you knew everybody were watching you and kind of turns out that um we kind of live there now, you know, so just well, make absolutely. those decisions, you know? Right. Just like, um, you know, don't post anything that a, you wouldn't want your grandmother to see or B you wouldn't want to put up on a billboard, um, in times square. So I think that it's, you have to start making those decisions. And, um, I think people are learning the hard way. And, um, I think even though we all enjoy to see those, those issues come up, you, you almost just feel sorry. Cause you're like, Oh man, you didn't figure it out before, but now you definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let's bring you, bring us up to where you are today. Um, yeah. What's, what are you working on that's really got you excited? So what I'm really working on right now is I, I'm back into, you know, really having that set video schedule uh, for myself. And so um, I do work during the day for a company here in Austin, Texas called Rivet. And so we are working with um, user-generated content. It's a, a platform that will really help brands 
um, capture those stories from um, their, you know, maybe for travel, for instance, from their guests or from uh, users of their product. And so not this isn't scraping it from social media. This is allowing, giving them the opportunity to then share their story through um, our platform. So that is great to be involved in that because then it really does carry over into what I do then for my savvy life. And so with My Savvy Life, we do have um, a set schedule now. So every single Wednesday at 12 o'clock central, there's a brand new video that comes out. And really what I've noticed, and this has really just come from conversations that I've had with friends and family, is that technology is completely overwhelming. And it doesn't seem to be stopping because, of course, as we just talked about, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the opportunities out there in terms of sharing and just technology in general it just keeps getting bigger. And so it's just that understanding of, yes, technology can be completely overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. And so what are some simple ways that you can then use, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, um, different apps are available, websites, whatever the case may be, what can we do to make this not so overwhelming? And so I typically don't, I don't always like to focus on ways that businesses can do it. I like to focus on um, just personal Mm -hmm. items. And so, you know, I kind of talked about uh, a couple weeks ago about, you know, five ways to avoid being a digital hoarder, because we find ourselves, whether it's in our browser tabs, you have, you know, 20 open at one time, you have all of the photos saved on your phones. And so anytime you want to take a photo, you realize, oh, no, I have to delete five photos before I can take another one. It's, It's just really making sure that your digital life can then be in order so you don't feel like a, a digital hoarder. So it's just kind of taking those principles and just kind of wrapping them around different, um, you know, I, I hate to say tips and tricks, but just different ways that you can manage that digital lifestyle. Cool. Cool. What's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Time. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I think I probably run into the same exact thing of, um, of everyone dealing with um, everything that we have going on in our, in our lives, our professional um, things that we want to accomplish, our personal things, uh, whether that is family, maybe a, a second, you know, a second job, whatever the case may be, time is always a, a precious commodity. And even though I would love to say there are 24 usable hours in a day, you still need to be sleeping for some of those hours. And so I think the challenge is, um, is number one time, but then also just, um, you know, really working through helping people understand, um, you know, with the new, um, a brand new YouTube channel. So I'd rebranded a lot of my, um, a lot of my pieces. So Google isn't so great when you get married and you want to change your name. They don't allow you to change the URL that you have then created for yourself. And so I think that it's a little daunting to start out, um, you know, from zero, but yet it has felt um, amazingly great just because then you know you have a fresh audience that you're talking to. So people have moved over from the other channel. That one had been a little quiet for a little bit. There had always been videos kind of going up and, you know, every, every once in a while sharing some things. But now that there is a schedule and there's building a community around that, it feels so great to kind of go back to those roots and um, develop that that community kind of all over again. And I think that the topics are, um, you know, people are, seem to be really interested in them. And so there's been a lot of, um, you know, press interest and, um, you know, people figuring out, all right, everyone's living a digital lifestyle. So what are we going to do to, do to make it easier? Cool. 
All right. So if people remember nothing else about you or your body of work, what would you want that one thing to be from this episode? You know, I think to um, take into consideration the digital footprint that you are leaving. Um, And so definitely not even to make it about me whatsoever, but that digital footprint is going to be so important. And so no matter um, if you're in high school, you're in college, you're just starting your career, or, um, you know, you've been in your career for a long time, that digital footprint is going to be so important because Google is really the new resume. And so I think that taking a piece out of my, um, my own story is to build that wisely. And so I think that's going to be the most important piece that, that I would love to, to pass along to anybody. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard from Stephanie. Remember, as you're out there building things in the world, you're building it in a digital pervasive world. So we hope you make great choices and embrace the fact that it's social and have fun with it. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.